Hi, and welcome to the Miseducation of the SLP. My name is Ingrid, and I am here with my other host, Ashanti. Hello, everyone. Hello. So we have returned after our little miniature rant about how we must understand the state of our discipline in the, in the area of diversity, inclusion, but we want to circle back to really discussing our, you know, early years as clinicians and what you really need to understand or know. Um, and so I'm kind of putting Ashanti on a bit of a hot seat <laughs> so that we can kind of see what her first few years was looking like essentially. And then what she has experienced, um, you know, in terms of what she would give advice for. And the same kind of, I think, with myself, but in a different manner. So Ashanti, when you think about your first three years and, you know, what that looked like for you, what were what were really your motives during that time? I really was just trying to make some money. <laughs> I was tired of being broke. Um, I fed into that narrative where you can't work during graduate school. Um, you actually can if you, if you, you know, hunker down and, and get it done as you did Ingrid. <laughs> um, but I, I really was just trying to make a little bit of money. I was, I was broke. So that was my, my main focus. Okay. And I think that's probably fair to say about any SLP that's coming out into the game right now, unless they come from a financially affluent or financially smart family that's, you know, navigating spaces of scholarship um, or you just got money, you know, right. because SLPs are the, the cost to get that master's degree is not cheap. It's not. <laughs> so... My personal experience with my first three years, it started out with my CF, um, and it was a challenging CF year because obviously I have explained, you know, my my CF supervisor wasn't the most hands-on with my education, so I kind of had to take it on my own. Then once I received my C's, I was like, I'm applying for a full-time job. So I had a full-time job for a year. And then subsequent to that, I started doing travel SLP work. So I had two years under my belt and started doing travel where mm. I was dropped in one setting after the other every three months because I was unattached. I had no man. I had no kids. And so <laughs> I was able to just go ahead. You just and went with it go out there in them streets. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed that experience. And I advise for clinicians to do something like that to help diversify their clinical skill sets in multiple environments, because that did end up teaching me a great deal about diversity and understanding certain things like going into the middle of rural Hawaii in Hilo and figuring out a way to provide services to people that really have limited access to anything. I genuinely used pieces of paper and pen and pencil and that was it and crayon and whatever I could because there weren't really a ton of resources there. I mean, I still remember we were using VHS to do video swallow studies in that acute hospital. Oh my goodness. It was oh weird. <laughs> it, was very, it was a very, very, very simplistic environment. 
and it remains that way i want to say to this day to some to some um aspects but what i learned in that time was significant and i was smart enough to have already have purchased a home i you know was able to have people live in that home for a while to help offset certain costs and i was just a financial guru um mm-hmm. thankful thankfully to my father who offered me the opportunity to be knowledgeable in that space so money wasn't really my objective it was just being more knowledgeable mm. meanwhile Getting- back at the ranch shanti <laughs> was married <laughs> spent a few years in a private practice uh, mm-hmm. that pro- didn't really go great and then ventured into contract work <laughs> beautiful and for anyone in their beginning stages of this career, the biggest clarity that I think me and Ashanti kind of share is we understood our own goals mm-hmm. and what we wanted to accomplish out of the early, early portion of our career. So much of the time when you get out of graduate school, there's like a sense of desperation of like, I need a job. I need a job. Oh, my God. Yes. And you feel like wherever you – well. The feeling initially is that wherever you land, you kind of owe it to them to stick it through. And you don't. You owe no one anything. You get your experience. You get what you need. And you move forward with where you need to go for you. It's all about you. Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. being super grateful is wonderful. Like I have this great, you know, role. I'm doing this career that I'm so excited about and I'm really appreciative. Mm -hmm. That being said... There are spaces, especially in the early portions of the SLP career, that you're taken advantage of by yes. nature because yes. there's been a lot of ableism from our from our discipline in allowing the problems, unfortunately, that your generation is coming up against. You know, the spaces that we chose to be the extra hard workers that, that documented off the clock or allowed our caseloads to inflate to a point where we didn't have any mental sanity. We are all, the generations that have come before, are, you know, accountable for what you might be experiencing because we didn't foot, put our foot down as much as we should have. Now, I did. Right. I, that was my personal experience. Oh, yeah. Ingrid, you didn't just put your foot down. You stopped. You, you were stepping <laughs> Like you were from one of these, one of these fraternities. You were stepping through. You're like, mm, mm, watch me step. Sir. Not I, sir, because it just it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't for me to do things in a manner that was go with the flow. I wasn't built that way, and thus it didn't allow me to kind of like the ninety percent productivity. As cute as it is to not do documentation in there, I told every single boss at the top of my lungs, understand. This takes a skilled person to do this mm. work, mm-hmm. okay? So I am going to bill for this because Medicare would not have the documentation right. if it wasn't for my skilled abilities. So if you right. want 90%, you know that you're going to have to cut me slack on five to seven minutes while I write this note. Right. Mm-hmm. I didn't find my, my self-advocacy voice until a little bit into contract work where, you know, I was thrown into one situation where um, at this particular facility, things were way behind schedule. Uh, Certain evals and notes had been opened by a previous SLP who had walked and they wanted me to just put my name all over that stuff. And I was like, "Mm, no, Mm -mm. I'm walking too. Bye. (laughs) 
Bye bye, me yes. voy. No me, voy. me gusta, no me gusta. <laughs> Nos vemos nunca. Mm -hmm. See you never. Yes, exactly. Nope, no. Nope. It used to be si se puede. No, no, no se podía. No, eso no. Mm -mm. Eso Déjalo no. Quieto. Mm -mm. Um, but honestly, we do get stuck in that because of the kindness, because of the nurturing, you know, default setting that we all have, we want, we want to help. We genuinely want people to get better student, you know, students or clients or, you know, whoever, whomever you're working with, try not to get stuck in that, in, in, in that mindset of if I don't do it, then who will listen, they will find someone else. If it is not the place for you, if you've grown as much as you can grow in that environment, move on. You owe nothing to no one. Move on. And to be perfectly honest, we can't save everyone. Right. We just, we really do need to understand the limits to our capacity. And when you're stretched too thin and too far, you're actually doing a disservice to your patients and to your students because you're not able to give them exactly what they need because you're stretched to the brink. Right. So the biggest rule of the first three years really is to understand just yourself, your objectives, and what you can do and allow it to be the opportunity to grow the skill set and the expertise that you want because really this is the time for you to become the specialized individual that you want to become whether it be in the pediatric space or whether it be in the adult space or any realm in between because there's a significant amount of range for the SLP you know voices across the board or you know cognition you can look at this in all kinds of manner i mean right now i'm following um, Ianessa Humber, who's like a, a swallowologist specialist, but also consults in, you know, sexual education. That's an actual viable space for an SLP to be involved in if that's mm -hmm. something you feel you're interested in, because it's an area that we know well as swallow specialists. And we have the opportunity to do something incredibly creative and fun in that. So that to me was like, wow, you know, your expertise can offer a ton of areas of, you know, of interest if you just think a little bit outside of the box and find your niche. And that's really where your first three years can be a benefit to you. So I take advantage of that consideration. The other thing I want to encourage um new SLPs to do is not get stuck in the setting that you've chosen. Um, where you did your CF, you don't have to stay there. So for example, in my experience, I was a CF in a private practice uh, specialized in uh, children um, that had autism. And I felt as if I needed to stay and remain in the pediatric sector. Um, it wasn't until maybe two years, you know, after getting my C's and just all of the nonsense that I was dealing with at that private practice, I finally said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm jumping to the, to the skilled nursing facilities and I'm going to go start working with adults. And was I scared out of my mind? Absolutely. <laughs> but I did it scared. And honestly, that opened up a whole new 
range of, you know, a, a whole new page to my resume. Um, and it all, and it benefited me in that, you know, when I was married, um, he was in the military. So we moved a lot that opened up a lot more opportunity for me as far as trying to have some sort of continuity to having work. Mm. Which is incredibly important is your ability to be diverse. Yes. And the reason I think that being a diverse candidate is important or a diverse worker is important is simply because, A, it also allows you the opportunities to figure out, is this really something I really enjoy? And B, mm. it also gives you, you know, a wide, wide range um, for your skill sets to kind of cover, which yes. is really great. It's a really great, you know, experience to have. Absolutely. So I think in that regard, being a person who navigates multiple settings, it offers such a beautiful manner of like, I'm always a student. You start getting used to being a student when you jump from one thing to the next. I, in my 12 years of clinical practice, I went from home health, skill nursing facility, schools, outpatient clinics, home health, acute hospital, LTAC, SNF, I said. I want to say I said SNF. Yes. And I've done all of that across the ranges. Mm. I've done it from, I, I mean, I've done it even from the infancy stage where I got the pleasure of shadowing in the NICU and learning some things about the NICU all the way to hospice care because I did all of those areas in 12 years. Nobody can't tell me nothing about nothing. <laughs> and that is one of the really beautiful things about this profession. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, in those years that I've learned for the first beginnings of the career, I did start to see a bit of a ceiling a financial ceiling, what I could actually earn. I had to move for money. I couldn't demand for more in the spaces I was in. Now, for a good portion of my time, I was a traveler and I worked per diem um, in the middle portion of my growth years as, a, as an SLP. So I didn't really need much financially at that point, but I was mm -hmm. noticing my ability to advocate for more money in a per permanent position was hitting a ceiling mm. and I wasn't able to get more out of my, out of my degree, despite having all of these different types of settings under my belt. And I was like, huh, do I need to be thoughtful about this? Like, am I going to hit a, a, um, a stopping point here? Right. Right. And that's what ended up leaping me into being a director of rehab in California was because of the financial opportunity that it gifted me, which was significant. I don't know too many SLPs that get a $20,000 sign-on bonus and a salary of 110000 Listen, there's a very small portion of SLPs percentage that gets to experience that. Yeah. And so that was something that I registered 
wasn't an average experience. And with what's happening, especially right now with inflation, my goodness, mm. it's actually something that should be happening regularly. Yeah. I mean, regularly. SLP should be making at least six figures at this point comfortably. Our median average right now is like $75,000, $80,000 a year as a discipline. And that for SLPs in Florida is on the very, very high end. That's like you're in the medical sector, or you're, you know, skilled nursing or LPAC or things like that. For those of us, in the school districts, <laughs> that number is very high. <laughs> and that is with us having 12 months of working versus nine in the school Right, district. right. Usually uh, a school district contract is uh, around 10 months. Um, and, you know, there's typically the offer to extend to cover summertime services, but it's never a guarantee. So something to keep in mind. Absolutely. I do believe wholeheartedly that when I look at the scale or the progress that SLP's financial status, like where we are in terms of our median or our, our middle ground of salaries, mm -hmm. it has a lot a lot to do, A, with the beautiful side hustles that SLPs are able to do to supplement income if they're not getting enough at their positions. Mm -hmm. It also has to do with the inconsistency with our research. Mm. The reason there's inconsistencies with our research is because the next perspective comes along in the next generation and debunks or changes things. I still remember to this day something that was so significantly influential in the SLP space, oral motor exercises for motor speech. Now, if you were to say that to an SLP right now, they'd be like, absolutely not. There's no relationship between oral motor exercises and producing clearer speech. But at one point that was practice. It was widely executed as the way to improve motor speech. And because our science evolved, it changed. Mm -hmm. These are things that PTs and OTs don't have because in this, in certain aspects, because it's super objective. So because we're not super objective as much as we try to be with evidence-based practice, which I truly deeply appreciate, that is the reason why we have challenges with advocating for our ability to have higher pay. So that being said, we have to find creative ways to push that envelope outside of just, we deserve it. You know, we're helping these patients. We see the results. We have all these case studies. We know that our, our practice is effective. We know that it's doing something. It definitely is reported as something that people benefit from, from children to adults. Right. Everybody says speech pathology helps. But there's also conditions in which there's speech teachers that also help. Right. And I don't discount that. I dis I don't discount that. I know that that's possible. There are places in other countries where speech educators are able to help people. So when we think about our discipline, 
I do want us all to understand when you are a scientist and you're doing everything in your power to execute optimally and you're not seeing it reflected in the progression of your pay because of nuances around you that you aren't taking into consideration, always have something else in your back pocket to be able yes. to secure you in what you're trying to achieve financially because it won't be this career unless you chase a position that gives that to you. Mm -hmm. You have to go after those positions. It will not just be readily available to you because like I said, the average is between 75 and 80,000 and it's been that year for, it's been that way for like years now. And it doesn't look like it'll be changing anytime soon, despite oh, yeah. the national shortage. Absolutely not going to change. Absolutely mm -hmm. not going to change. And knowing that and understanding that we as a discipline need to make sure that we're looking out for ourselves. Once we start to hit that three to five to 10 years of seasoned clinician work, mm -hmm. um, pivoting into other spaces is it's crucial. It's crucial. You've got to get yourself into spaces that will allow you to have more of an impact and more opportunities so that you're able to make some solid money. And when I mean solid, I mean six figures comfortably every year. Like this is where all of us as SLPs should be by the time we're crunching into our 10th, 15th, 20th year. Right. There's no reason why we can't do that, accomplish that. We should, simply as practitioners, but if that's not possible based on the climate of how they feel about practitioners, then we need to look at it in another way and do it with other things, becoming speakers and educators and working with national organization if you so choose to participate with ASHA and get invested there doing conferences, connecting, networking, your took us off to find people that are like-minded as you and giving you opportunities that can help you grow. For sure. That being said, Ashanti, you're deep into your 13th, 14th, 15th year. Are you doing things to financially get yourself set up? Ah, such a loaded question. <laughs> Life is complicated for Ashanti, but there are things that I'm, you know, looking into to try and diversify my financial portfolio. Okay. So the, the short answer, yes. The short answer is yes. Okay. I don't see myself um, being a clinician, you know, for the next 20 years. Um. I would really love to be able to pivot into something else, but we'll see. We'll see because I, I, I truly do enjoy what I do. I mean, I mean, you know, the story I was sharing with you about one of my students, Ingrid, with his, his one note song and <laughs> you were just like, oh, you're falling in love with your kids. And I, you know, I really do love all of my students. Mm -hmm. They're amazing. Mm -hmm. um, so strap. Yeah, he Drum. was, oh my gosh, he was just so cute. Drum. <laughs> he was jamming out with his one note song, y'all. 
I mean, <laughs> it's going to be on Spotify next week. Drum. <laughs> but anywho, um, I really do love working with the children. And, you know, that's where my heart is. I, I am realistic. However, in that, the more experience I have on my um, resume does not equate to more money. And at some point, it will almost be a hindrance as to me getting uh, contracts or, or getting hired on um, for a district simply because of the money, simply because, you know, sometimes they would prefer someone who can get paid less. So, you know, I'm, I'm highly aware of that. So. Mm. That's a disappointing thing to understand. It is. It's so disappointing. <laughs> Where you're like, wow, I'm an expert and I'm becoming more of an expert and I'm becoming more of an expert and ooh, you don't actually care. Or right. <laughs> They're like, mm, and? <laughs> it's not actually what we're looking for. <laughs> They're like, mm, you expensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so moving forward, we're going to be talking about the mid-years, the years when you feel relatively comfortable in what you're doing, those three to seven to 10 years of experience. And what is it that you really want to do as a professional in that space, as well as, you know, solutions for you personally? Because We keep talking about it as a discipline only in a singular format, but every SLP or a majority of SLPs that I know are also wives and mothers. Mm. And (laughs) understanding that our discipline is significantly influenced by married women with multiple roles that they have to take on, it does flavor what ends up being the energy to be able to do the things that are required to change the nature of this discipline. Um, And I get that, you know, there's some people that are just highly invested and involved and their children are typically older. Right. Or they're divorced or they've never been married or there's like a multitude of things that go into why they have more energy to really get invested into our discipline and make significant changes. But we have to be understanding that it can't be the few, it has to be the many. But within that five, three to five to seven to 10 years, what does that look like for the energy level of the SLP? And then are we disheartened? Mm. Are we disheartened? Uh, yes. Are we fatigued and how do we cope? How do we move forward? And mm. what what are the solutions in that aspect of things? So we'll be covering that and really kind of digging into the whole direction of this, of this career. Mm-hmm. And then subsequent to that, we'll be continuing to discuss all kinds of fun things in regards to how you know, creative we can become as a discipline and how, how we impact society and what responsibilities we have as providers because of that. So it's going to be, it's definitely a great season. We've started it off with some really heavy hitting conversations. So I look forward to you revisiting us again um, in the next couple of weeks. I love that we're doing this once again. So 
Yes, yes. <laughs> if you want to reach out to us, of course, you can hit us up on our IG, Miseducated SLP. You can also hit us up on Facebook. That's also available. And then, of course, our email, MiseducatedSLP at gmail.com. So we're available for you guys to come chat it up, kiki it, give us the goods. <laughs> you know, we're available. Um, and until next time. Take Bye. it easy. <laughs> Take it easy, everybody.